Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. Do not forget to buy lentils, or the lentil soup you're making for dinner will be sorely lacking. By the way, Mrs. Calloway says thanks for helping her bundle home and auto. She appreciates the extra savings, even though you kept using the word apropos incorrectly. But the main thing is do not forget to buy, uh, what was it? Something apropos, the lentil soup. Sorry, I'll call you back. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma City Thunder. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello there, everyone. We're locked in for episode 118 of Locked on Thunder, presented by the Norman Transcript. I'm your host, Fred Katz. Locked on Thunder is part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Head out to iTunes and search Locked on Thunder. You can subscribe to the podcast there and leave a review once you're on that page also. And find us on audioboom.com. Log on to normantranscript.com. Check out my blog, Thunder Road, under the Schwartz tab on the site for more Thunder coverage. I'm on every day of the week, Monday through Friday. Last episode of the week coming up, Thunderfall on Thursday night in Houston, 118 to 116. I'm sure Thunder fans were upset about the loss. I think it was probably the best game of the year, though. Like, as a basketball fan, what a game. Thunder were down 18. Thunder were up 14. They were up 31-17 early in the first quarter. Houston came back. They went up 11 at the half. Uh, they went up all the way 18 in the third quarter. Thunder came back with the bench with Canner, with Westbrook having just really making every jump shot possible except for that one at the end. And Houston ended up winning on free throws at the very end from Nene. Uh, 118-116, Westbrook, all the jumpers were falling, it seemed. Career high, eight three-pointers made, 49 points. That's the most he scored in regulation this year. He had a 51-point game against Phoenix. That was uh, that was in an overtime game, though. So 49 points is his regulation season high. Eight boards, five assists. Ennis Canner had 15 points and 13 boards in 22 minutes off the bench. Old Depot had 17 points and 7 rebounds. Robertson had 14 and 9. Uh, James Harden for Houston had 26 points, 8 rebounds, and 12 assists in that MVP match with Russell Westbrook. Westbrook was just hitting every jumper. He was taking every jumper, too. Like, against Milwaukee, he was trying to get into the paint. Uh, he was trying to do stuff. This time, uh, he got hot early, and he just kept shooting them. And when they're going in, I guess that's okay. I mean, look, you have to judge Russell Westbrook just on a different kind of scale. Like, what's a good shot and what's not a good shot? I think we all acknowledge that you have to judge what's a good shot, what's not a good shot for Russell Westbrook. It's different than what's a good shot and not a good shot for your average point guard. Because when that dude's hot, he can just make them. Billy Donovan, you know, I asked Billy Donovan about the hot hand theory and how if he believed in the hot hand theory after the game. And and he said in uh, more words than I'll use... Yes, he does. Um, and and when Russell Westbrook is hot, he's he's more okay. And, and Billy is is consistent about saying he's he's okay with him taking those pull ups. He's okay with him taking you know those shots off the dribble and all that. But this was an extreme example against Houston, a really extreme example. Westbrook took fifteen threes, and he took fourteen non paint two pointers. That's twenty nine of his thirty four shots. Only five of his thirty four shot attempts came in the paint. That is, that's a good job by the Houston defense, especially a Houston defense that did not have Clint Capella to deter Russell Westbrook from getting to the rim. That's a good job from the Houston defense, forcing him into shots that they probably want him taking. 
Look, this is an analytically inclined team, and every team in the league knows, all 30 of them, no matter how analytically inclined or not, they're happy to have your 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 the most dominant ball the most ball dominant player on the opposing team. They're happy to have him take a ton of his shots from from mid-range, from outside the paint and from inside the three-point line. Russell Westbrook took 14 of those. They weren't all from mid-range. Some were a little closer. It wasn't the Phoenix game. I talked on the last podcast about the Phoenix game, how he had 16 mid-range jumpers in that Phoenix game. It wasn't quite the the Phoenix game. And he was making those shots, though. 5-14 and 14 on those non-paint twos. Not a great percentage, not a great efficiency. But 8-15 of 15 from 3. Now that's something. He was making those shots. He was making them early. He was making them late. It just didn't work on that last full offensive possession. So they had the ball. Game was tied at 116. They'd taken a 116-114 lead on a Victor Oladipo corner three from the right corner. Uh, James Harden came back, got fouled, tied the game with the line at 116. They got the ball with under half a minute to go. Russell Westbrook got the ball at the top of the key. Ran a quick pick and roll with, I think it was Alex Sabrinas, got a switch onto James Harden. And he was clearly happy to ISO James Harden at the top of the key a little bit off to the right side. He didn't go to the rim. He didn't take him to the hole. He pulled up. He was hot. It was online. It was long. Billy Donovan said that when he left his hand, he thought it was good. You knew he was going to take the three, right? That's just what he does. He, he, he always takes the three late. Tie game, he always takes the three. Now, I don't know if that was necessarily the play that was supposed to happen. I think the play was to try to get a switch and then see if Westbrook could do something. I don't know why he rarely penetrates in those scenarios. I don't know if he likes the idea of taking the three. Um, I, I asked him to if he could take me through what was going on in his mind and what his decision-making was when it led up to that play. He did not care to answer. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, he, he, he said, like, uh, you know, did you, did you see the play? I missed the shot. And that was his full answer. So I don't know why he decided to pull up instead of penetrate. Um, there have been other moments this year where he's taken threes at the end of games. Uh, when it wasn't necessarily a three-point game. And he said after the fact, I wish I hadn't taken a three there. Now, if you believe in the hot hand theory, and, and you know what? I, I am someone who actually does, honestly. I know I know statistically a lot of people say that it's not real. Um, and there have been a ton of statistical studies on whether you can get hot or whether it's just a mirage. And I don't, just because I believe in the hot hand, I, I doesn't necessarily mean I believe in heat checks. But that shot was similar to the shots he was taking all game. Now with Russell Westbrook specifically, you like to see him go to the rim. You like to see him put himself in a position to get fouled because that's what Houston did on that next possession. Let's talk about the next possession. So James Harden, it's, you know, just under four seconds remaining. James Harden runs a real quick pick and roll with Nene. Harden goes towards the middle of the floor on the right side and... Steven Adams and Andre Robertson follow him. Nene rolls to the rim. He ends up getting there. Westbrook comes over and help. Jeremy Grant comes over and help. Grant blocks the shot. They call a foul on Grant. I, I'm curious to see this two-minute report because I, I the argument is that Grant got him with his body because he definitely got all ball. I don't think he – I mean, his body touched him, but I don't think it was one of those scenarios where it was a foul because he got him with the body. I am not convinced that – uh that's going to come back on the two-minute report tomorrow, and it's going to end up being uh, called a foul. I think they're going to say that that was not a foul. I think the Thunder might have a legit gripe. I know Billy Donovan said that he, he couldn't tell in time, 
but I think the Thunder will have a legit gripe. There's nothing that can happen with it. Uh, but I, I don't know if that was necessarily a foul. And they went down. He, he ended up hitting both of those shots after the play. Steven Adams didn't do a great job of it. It wasn't his best defensive game. Robertson had a good defensive game. A little bit harder for him to guard in this game. I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Steven Adams didn't have his best defensive game tonight. I thought he overcommitted a little bit on pick and rolls. And because of that, overcommitted to the ball handler, I should say. Because of that, uh, he ended up giving up some more rolling lanes, uh, and the weak side defenders were a little bit slower to help. They were supposed to be helping off the wings. Um, That was clearly what the game plan was, but it's hard to do against Houston because they have so many shooters around the rim. It's just around around the perimeter. It's just really hard to help towards the rim. That's what makes them so difficult to guard. That's what makes them such an elite offense. It's what makes them so they so easily get to the rim while also creating threes. Now, the Rockets tried something a little bit different. Robertson did a good job guarding James Harden because that's what this game was. It was Harden versus Russell Westbrook, right? It was it was MVP one versus MVP two. I don't know which one's which. But Robertson has done a great job on Harden so far this year. I thought he did a really good job. Probably his worst job of the three, but that's a ridiculously high standard. And Houston tried some other stuff to try to get Robertson off. Uh, they'd have like Ariza come over and set... Joe Johnson used to be the best guard in the league at this. Like prime Joe Johnson, what he would do was he'd come over off the ball, and Ariza did this a few times against Robertson. He'd come over off the ball, and instead of just setting his body um, as as if it were a normal screen, he'd kind of push, he'd kind of run into the guy as if he was just like jogging across the court and turn his body around and pull the defender guarding the ball, in this case, Robertson guarding Harden, pull the defender guarding the ball away from the guy guarding the ball. And you would force a switch. Joe Johnson used to do that to try to get post-ups for himself. The Rockets were doing that to try to get Robertson off of, uh, off of Harden. And it worked on a decent amount of possessions because the Thunder weren't really trying to switch. They were trying to keep Robertson on Harden as much as they could. Harden still had a good night, 26 points and... 12 assists and got to the line and uh, facilitated. He still played really, really well. But 6 of 16, he's still shooting 29% against the Thunder this year. He's uh, 16 for 55 on the season against the Thunder. That's a testament to Robertson. It's a testament to the rest of the of the defense, but also the Robertson. Before we move on quickly, I just want to take a quick moment to talk about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the football or basketball games. You want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year. And with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the guaranteed seats you want for great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way I've found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere and with just a few taps. I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any game this season. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek will always find you the lowest available price, and SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck too. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. 
Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, click Add a Promo Code, enter the promo code LOTHUNDER, L-O like locked on, and SeatGeek is going to give you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code LOTHUNDER today. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Some Twitter questions before we go. First, I had a lot of questions about the final play. Uh, the Westbrook shot, not the out-of-bounds one. There was also the out-of-bounds play after the Nene free throws. 0.7 seconds left. Victor Oladipo calls a timeout, and then they end up having to run another one because uh, and, and Oladipo lobs it into Ennis Canner, and it gets knocked away, and that's how the Thunder lost the game. But first question, just to sum up this Russell Westbrook one, had a lot, I had a lot of questions about this. Why won't OKC try to play other than dribble until the end and then bad three-point shot? Nice to see them try the canter lob. That's from Cody Gibson. Uh, Donovan said he thought Oladipo didn't uh, didn't have to call a timeout that first time, which I thought was interesting. Oladipo said after that he didn't have anything. Donovan also qualified it with, you know, sometimes from my angle I can see it, and from his angle since he's at a different spot of the court, maybe he can't. So, you know, there are certain certain ways that make those sorts of things more excusable. It's sometimes easier to see it from a different angle, as as he very well put it. I don't think the Thunder are necessarily running something so that Russell Westbrook can get a three. Those sorts of things happen. Like, for example, the three-pointer that they ran against Indiana, which, or not Indiana, Washington. Washington? Indiana. The Indiana one. The tied at the end of regulation. They ended up losing in overtime. Like, that play wasn't for Russell Westbrook. That play was for Anthony Morrow. The pass went to Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook put up the shot. He was actually a secondary option on that play. Now, I think sometimes Russell Westbrook just wants to take those threes. And that's something that's just going to end up happening. And if that's what he wants when he's got the ball in his hands, that's something that's going to end up happening. But I'm not fully convinced that it's coming from Billy Donovan. Hey, take a three on this play. I don't think that there are certain plays that are being run for threes. Um, You know, on that final possession with .7 seconds left, the one where they tried to lob it into Canner. Uh, Donovan thought that they they had a mismatch with Canner uh, on a guard with 0.7 seconds left, and that doesn't mean that they're necessarily going to score, but Donovan thought he had the mismatch, and that's something he wanted. It looked to me like Abrinas was going to be a primary option on that play. They were trying to open up Abrinas for something on that play. Um, there, there are certain things they run, certain ATOs that they run, but they don't have a lot of time out, a lot of time left that they have that stuff, but look, it's been a couple of coaches now, um, and, and late in games, and, and that's the short of basketball Russell Westbrook plays late in games. It looks great when the shot goes in, and the shot's gone in a lot this year. And Russell Westbrook has been amazing in crunch time this year. If you think he's the MVP, his number one argument is that he has been won them so many close games. Denver, both of the Boston games, Washington, countless more. He's been so good in crunch time. He has annihilated so many teams in crunch time. And he was great in this game. He just missed a shot. He missed one shot with 3.8 seconds left. And I I do want to point out the danger in fixating on a missed shot with 3.8 seconds left from a dude who had 49 points, an efficient 49 points on the night and played uh, 
you know, one of his best games of the year. I think there's danger in that. Uh, from David A. Victor, is there a lack of trust on defense? Instead of staying near the guy, they edge close, uh, closer to the man with the ball, and bam, they throw to that open guy. The Thunder were trying to help off of guys. That was that was something that they were trying to do on the perimeter tonight. I don't think that was necessarily the best move. Uh, I, I think I agree with David against a team like Houston. I think you want to try to defend. Uh, you want to try to defend the perimeter because this is the best three-point shooting team in the league. First off, Billy Donovan put a real emphasis on the fact that everyone talks about the fact that this is the best three-point shooting team in the league in terms of the number of makes that they have a game, in terms of the number of attempts, all that kind of stuff. But he wanted to put a real emphasis on how good they are in the restricted area, and that's very true as well. They're one of the best teams at the rim as well. That's why they're such a good offense. It's not just their shooting. I think that's something he wanted to take away. I think it also comes back to Steven Adams a little bit too. Uh, to where I just didn't, Steven Adams is a very good defensive player. He's had a very good defensive season. Didn't think this was his best game. Like I said earlier in the podcast, I think he was over committing on the ball a little bit and picking rolls. And because of that, uh, rim divers were getting into the lane and that forced guys on the perimeter to help off shooters a little bit more on some extra possessions. They were already supposed to help off of shooters a little bit. And I think that just forced them to do a little bit more. And that left guys open on the perimeter. The Thunder weren't, I mean, it was hardly a perfect defensive game. They weren't so bad. I mean, in terms of in terms of the results, the, Houston did not kill them from three. Houston was 15 of 39 from three, and that sounds great. Well, I shouldn't say that sounds great. That is great. But that's just kind of what they do. They take 43's game. That's their average. They took 39. They shoot, what, 37% on the season? They shot 38 tonight. So this is not an out of character from Houston. This is just kind of what they do. It's why Houston is really hard to guard. And uh, I think this is one of those scenarios in which you kind of have to say it's more about the Houston offense than it is about the Thunder defense. Rockets are a 60-win team. This team's 28-9. I think this team's going to win 60. Their offense is amazing. Their defense is pretty good. The Thunder scored very well against a pretty good defense. Uh, they don't quite have a defensive reputation. They have a reputation of being really bad defensively, but they're not. They've been well above average since Patrick Beverly came back from his injury a few weeks into the season. They've been well above average during this streak where they've now won 22 out of 27. You know, Beverly defends, and Harrell's got a good motor, and, and Nene is still a strong team defender. Uh, Trevor Ariza can still guard on the perimeter. Like, they have guys who can defend. I think James Harden is actually an overly criticized defender just because he's an easy target. He's not as bad as people say. He's not. Um, Sam Decker is, is, is capable. Corey Brewer is capable. Like they have guys who are capable defensively and, uh, they've, they've shown it. So this is a team I think is going to win 60. There's no shame in losing by a couple of points on the road on the second night of a back-to-back to a team that's going to win 60. Last question, which is uh, on a related note from Steven Lutsky. That's three really close games with Houston. They seem to match up well, uh, to a very good team. How is OKC able to hang with them? Yeah, so the first time these two teams played, it was 105-103 Thunder. The second time, it was 102-99 Rockets. This time, it's 118-116 Rockets. Every game has been decided by two or three points. I'll tell you what, I'd sign up for a seven-game series between these two right now. Give me seven games of these two in the first round as either a 2-7 a matchup or a 3-6 matchup in the first round. This would be a fun series. This would be really fun. You get Russ versus Harden. 
both just two really fun teams to watch. They play close games, it seems, every time. Uh, how are they able to hang with them? I think a lot of it has to do with the way Robertson defends Harden. I think he's the best Harden defender in the league. I think Russ, I, I, I know he would never say this. And he would deny this till the very, very end. Because he says that he approaches every single game the same. But he doesn't. Not because he's anything other than a human being. But human beings get more up when they go up against their buddies who happen to be the guys who they're battling for MVP. Like, I talked about this on the podcast yesterday. Like, you get up for that stuff. And I also, I I felt like Russ was going to have a good game tonight. It was just, I I just didn't envision a scenario in which he was going to have three straight subpar games, especially when he was going up against Harden on the road. I just didn't think that was going to be the case. I think Billy Donovan coaches well against Houston. Um, and I think their personnel defensively matches up pretty well. Look, they get a better defensive game from Adams tonight. Contains some pick and roll better. Uh, maybe maybe help a little bit better on those plays as a team. Maybe recover a little bit better onto some shooters. Barely. I mean, look, they, there are a lot of things that couldn't want it. Heck, they win this game if that Russell Westbrook 3 goes down. They win this game if they don't call a foul on Jeremy Grant on that final play. You know, they were that close. I think they match up pretty well. Another thing that I think is worth talking about, which I haven't mentioned, is is just how well Ennis Kanter played against this team, too. Adams didn't really close this game. He didn't really play much in the fourth quarter. Uh, that was, you know, in part because of him and in part because of the way that Kanter was playing. Kanter was dominating on the boards. Six offensive rebounds, 13 overall. He was scoring well around the rim, really well. Like, he is so much better of a passer than he's ever been in his entire life. Man, he's so much better of a passer. The way that he finds guys on the other side of the court, on the weak side now, when he gets doubled, he is so much better. It's unbelievable how much better. And, and it makes it makes him so much better of an offensive player overall, even when he's not passing, just because the threat of the pass is there. He's a legitimately good passer now. This was not a thing two years ago. He is so improved as a passer. If he can become, if he can become a three-point shooter, that's his way of staying on the floor now. That's his way of consistently getting minutes. If he can make threes and he can pass like that in different scenarios, he can pass out of double teams, that's his way. And I thought he did a re- another really good job. I thought he deserved to close that game tonight. And I thought that was – I didn't ask Billy about that. I just didn't really have the time. Uh, they, they went late in the locker room. I don't know if Billy spoke to the team for a while or if he just went off and had a phone call or whatever it was, but it came out a little late. And uh, everybody was pushed up against deadlines, so uh, I, I didn't really ask, and we had to run into the locker room and get Russell Westbrook and the players and all that stuff. So I didn't ask about that, uh, but I think I might ask about that on Saturday if it's still something that's relevant and worth talking about and writing about, uh, because I, I do think it's interesting that he went with closing Canner, and I don't know if it's a trend, but I always find Billy's explanations for that kind of stuff and how he makes those in-game adjustments, I always find that stuff interesting. Uh, You can remember I'm on every day of the week, Monday through Friday. Head on to iTunes, subscribe to Locked on Thunder. If you have questions or comments, email LockedOnThunder at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F-R-E-D-K-A-T-Z. Log on to NormanTranscript.com for all your Thunder needs and check out Thunder Road. That's my blog there. You can follow all my team coverage on that page. That's going to do it for today. I'm off for the weekend. The Thunder play Saturday against Denver. That's a home game. Uh, next time I'm talking to you guys, I'll be doing it from Chicago. 
before the Bulls game. I know I had a funky schedule this week. Back to the normal stuff next week, Monday through Friday, Monday through Friday, every week after that. So until then, until Monday night, Lockdown Thunder is locking up. <laughs>